This is Laree Daniel Favors, and welcome to The Hub. about the challenges presented by climate change. We, we recognize that oceans are rising and ice is melting and it's getting hotter everywhere and the hurricanes are stronger. And while we, we focus on a variety of the reasons for why climate change is moving in the direction that it is, we often don't get a chance to focus on the resistance, on the fight back. Unless, of course, uh, you're reading news coming from folks within our community who are paying attention to what matters. And my next guest is someone who is certainly doing exactly that. Deja E. Henry is a journalist based in the South. Her award-winning work has centered equity across health, the environment, and education. She's currently wrapping up a fellowship at the 19th, a publication that we love on this show, quite frankly, uh, where she has done uh, much reporting on black women's fight for equality. She is a proud graduate of Howard University and a member of Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated. Deja Henry, it is such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I, I want to hone in our conversation. You've been doing a lot of writing and, and it's been a real pleasure to sort of see how you have contributed to our understanding of what's happening in our communities. But uh, there was a, a, a real riveting story uh, that you produced in July that was called Fighting Industrial Development and Defending Black History in Louisiana's Cancer Alley that just completely grabbed my attention. For those in the audience who are not as familiar, can you tell us what is uh, Cancer Alley, and why does Cancer Alley in Louisiana have anything to do with Black history? Yeah, so Cancer Alley um, derives its name. It's about an 85-mile stretch between Baton Rouge and New Orleans and Louisiana, um, and it derives its name from the prevalence of cancer that uh, has been linked to the pollution uh, brought in from industrial plants. So there's industrial plants lining basically lining that side, one side of the river, um, the Mississippi River in that area. And it's, it's pretty relevant and pertinent to Black history because these, these plants actually are standing now in place where plantations used to be. And that mm -hmm. kind of sets the stage for this story as well, because these uh, two sisters that we focus on in the story are um, living on one side of the Mississippi River, which divides that area. Um, and in their parish, they are looking the the way that they the side that they live on has been largely or mostly untapped by these plantations but if you look across the river there's just this tangle of metal and um and chemicals and industrial plants that are there and polluting their community um but they did the, like these sisters the side that they live on um has not does not have that uh, prevalence of plants, but what they do have is still the plantation homes or many of the plantations mm. that uh, their families were enslaved on. Wow. Now, now you said that Cancer Alley is on, I think I heard you say it's on one side of the Mississippi River. Why just the one side? Why, why is this something that on one side of the river we've got uh, untouched land or at least untouched by, by corporations like the ones that are on the other side of the river? Is there, is there a legislative reason for that? What's the, what's the background there? 
So technically, the Cancer Alley is the whole area, um, and like the pollution obviously has no um, borders. Uh, the the chemicals in the air are not stopping on one side, but I'm not sure why the uh, the plants have mostly been on that one side of the river. Hmm. And this is something that's curious to me because I, I'm wondering, is it, you know, I, and this is just supposition at this point, but I'm wondering, is there a, a more openly welcoming environment on one side of the river than the other? I don't know. But it, it seems as though uh, these two sisters that you highlight in this article have run into uh, headfirst some of the efforts to jump the river and to bring some of those plants to the other side where they sit. It, tell us who these sisters are, Joe and Joy Banner, these twins. Talk with us about their background. Yeah, so Joe and Joy Banner, um, they both live and grew up in Wallace, Louisiana, which is in St. John the Baptist Parish. Um, And they actually live on a street named after their ancestors. Uh, They live Mm -hmm. on a street called Alexis Court, um, and that's one of their ancestral names. But they run a nonprofit called the Descendants Project, um, uh, working to like bring equity for the descendants of enslaved people. Um, and also a cafe called Fifole Cafe, which is, which is named after an old tale that uh, their their uh, grandmother or great grandmother would tell. Um, it's pretty prevalent in the area of Louisiana as well. But they run this cafe. Uh, they are working in their community to try to get. Um, I don't know if they say it in name, but basically get reparations for uh, their mm. community. Um, and. Yeah, that's them. Yeah. One of the things I love, one of the the more soft points that you reference in your article about them is that their great, great grandmother, or I'm sorry, great, yes, great, great grandmother was a midwife who delivered babies throughout the community. And their great grandmother uh, took the money that she made from selling her chicken eggs to buy the land that their parents then built the house on. So just in that one story, we're seeing multi-generations coming together to plan to build to prepare for the future and I think you know these are twins who come from a community Wallace Louisiana has faced some threat to their stability in terms of corporate takeover in the past there's some reference to a similar battle similar to the battle that they're facing today uh, that took place when they were younger talk with us about some of the historical efforts to take over the land that these twins are, are currently occupying Yeah, so when they were 10 years old, um, Formosa, which is a plastics company, and is actually, Formosa has actually bought land in the neighboring parish, St. James Parish now, but uh, when they were 10 years old, there was an attempt to bring in Formosa, and many, or some people were already, were, had been displaced by the time that this plan to bring Formosa fell through, but it was plagued with, um, corruption. So the then parish president, Lester Millette Jr., uh, was later convicted of uh, charges relating to extortion, racketeering, and those types of things for trying to coerce uh, people to sell their land to uh, bring this Formosa Plastics Company in. And that's kind of where this their, the sister's court case comes in, is that when uh, Millette, the parish president, was doing all the stuff that he was doing, one of the things that he did was change the zoning on the property uh, that this Mm. developer is trying to come into. He changed the zoning on that property from residential to industrial. And though that, um, that, that plan never 
came into fruition, that zoning ordinance was never revisited. So that land was still zoned as industrial. And that's how uh, the company Greenfield Louisiana LLC, which is actually based in Colorado, uh, this developer mm -hmm. is, is now trying to come in and build on that land that is uh, that had been zoned industrial. And that land, if I'm following you correctly, that land was zoned industrial by an elected official who was subsequently fell into a whole host of legal troubles. But after those legal troubles and he ends up leaving office, that zoning uh, stays in place. And that zoning was triggered because of some nefarious backroom dealings of its own. So uh, it seems as though their entire lives, these twin sisters have been battling forces they may not have even been aware of that were trying to take their land and convert their side of the river to the, the tangled corporate mess that these, that these women are able to see on the other side. Uh, how did their community respond to that effort? Yeah, and, and that's correct. And I would say that they were most definitely aware. So they, when they were 10 years old, you know, they were facing that, uh, like losing their land to Formosa. So they knew that they might have to move and uh, like mm. that these these companies were trying to come in. Talk with us about the community response to that. Yes, the, the, the elected officials fell into problems and, and issues, but uh, was the community organizing in that way back in the 90s as well, similar to what we see the twins doing now? The community was organizing. Um, there's actually a, a video that recently came out that shows how uh, community organizers uh, rallied to kind of get that canceled. Mm. And they, they faced it. They've like now, um, as they're fighting now, they've also garnered a big community response, though they are not uh, getting that same type of response from the parish officials. They, their community is definitely rallying together. Wow. So, okay. We've got some intergenerational fight going on. This feels good. It feels like we, you know, we, we're gathering together. They were had to fight this effort as children and they are now uh, dealing with a, another version of this effort today. Uh, talk with us about what's happening currently. I know that th there, there's a bit of a bright light at the end of this tunnel, or at least a, a temporary joy that we can take in a recent win that they had. Uh, but talk with us about what the current evolution of this struggle to, to protect the land and to protect the residents of this arena of this area called Cancer Alley from further exposure to more toxic chemicals. Yeah, so definitely as of last Friday, um, the, the twins lawsuit was decided in court, uh, their lawsuit against St. John the Baptist Parish that tackles that that zoning ordinance that we talked about. Mm. So it effectively declares that ordinance null and void based on a procedural issue. So the the judge did not rule um, that the corruption was proven to be the part of this, or to be the reason for this zoning, but he did rule that there was a procedural issue that a skip was stepped in that basically this ordinance is null and void and that zone that land would be zoned back to residential and they are continuing to fight i mean so that's the bright spot and of course they're continuing to fight greenfield released a statement uh saying that you know we hope this can be resolved and we'll continue to try to work with the community to get this this project done <laughs> so they greenfield is definitely still trying to get in there um and the sisters are also uh, petitioning the Army Corps to block uh, a permit uh, for Greenfield to build their facility. And there's also still, they like know that they still will face opposition. There's uh, just as far as like the lawsuit does not bar 
uh, legislators from re- returning that land to industrial again. So that is a thing mm. that can happen. So the sisters are arguing, if I understand it, and this is uh, one of the quotes from your your article, uh, they were arguing that the rezoning th- that was, again, taken on by the, the, the elected officials who ended up having to leave office, uh, they said that it was part of an illegal scheme that involved extortion, money laundering, and threats of legal action against neighboring residents to discourage their residents to sell their property. The court ruled in their favor, but the court didn't answer that question as to whether or not that was actually the case. So exactly. if I'm understanding, so if I'm under- understanding you correctly, even though the court said this zoning as it currently was enacted is unlawful, those elected officials could go back to their their council chambers and have another vote, engage in another rezoning effort to basically end up in the very same place where Greenfield would be able to then uh, take over this land. Am I understanding that correctly? Exactly. That's correct. Wow. Okay, so this is a win. That's why I said it's a bright light. We're going to hold on to the joy of it, uh, but the battle certainly continues. Talk to us about what the, the you, you said that they had reached out to the Army Corps of Engineers, and we're, we're certainly going to try to amplify those actions and whatever other actions the family and the community there are trying to engage in. But currently, for Greenfield to respond by saying we're going to work with the community to try to get this plant, it feels like there's a misunderstanding. The community does not seem to want Greenfield in its space. And if that's the case, what possibly could Greenfield think is going to be the outcome of working with these families? Is it simply that they want to buy them out and are going to offer additional money? I don't know if your reporting has any indication about that. The Yeah, uh, so the misunderstanding is really between, I would say it's between the community and their elected officials. And so that Greenfield, the fact that Greenfield feels confident enough to say that we'll work with the community uh, is kind of telling. And that mm. uh, I spoke with the sisters recently uh, after this court case was decided. And, you know, they're saying that it's, there's, they're, there's definitely the possibility that the elected officials will go back and try to get that zoning redone. And so the process, this whole process, uh, years long of of Greenfield trying to come in, has been marked with some um, some deception. Uh, so when the sisters uh, mentioned some some of their parish officials not being receptive to them and to their fight with this uh with this company and doing things such as like they have uh, screenshots of emails that they got through public public records requests where uh, between Greenfield and, and local officials saying, oh, we don't want this to get out into the community quite yet. And so there's been wow. some, a lot of disconnect between uh, parish officials or local and state officials and this, like the people who live in the community and the constituents that they are uh, responsible to. Do we know anything about the racial makeup about of this town and, and their elected officials? Are, do the elected officials, uh, do they look like the town or the residents? What's the, the, what are the racial dynamics here? Yeah, they definitely look like the town. So the parish, oh. St. John the Baptist Parish is a majority black. I don't know the exact numbers, but the elected officials that they are interfacing with are also black and so that's one of the things that the sisters uh really stressed was just that you know it's just even though like these people look like us it is still uh important to them to call out 
the structural and environmental racism that they are being complicit in. Mm, that that to me is a and we we've been talking a little bit uh, over the course of the past week or so about some of the challenges of representation that looks like our community, but that is not responsive to the community. Uh, over a week or so ago, we had a council member Chi Osei on from New York City, and one of the things he talked about uh, was the fact that sometimes we're so focused on representation that we don't realize how uh, damaging that that can be, how sometimes having people who look like you, if that's all you're concerned about, and you don't know who's funding their campaigns, you don't know who's lobbying them, you're not clear about what their policies are, and a whole host of arenas, then you might have someone who looks like you who's literally signing the, the slip for a company like Greenfield to come in and expose you to harm. And, and, and you're really clear in this article about the kind of harm. I'm just going to read uh, from, from what you wrote. You said, uh, quote, the grain dust at the facility, this is Greenfield's facility, the grain dust the facility will emit could cause respiratory problems for residents in the area. That's according to OSHA. You said it may also contain contaminants such as insect parts, fecal matter, pollen, and fungus spores, and its very small particles can get deep into the lungs or the bloodstream. These foreign particles in a person's body could increase the risk of asthma, COPD, inflammation, chronic bronchitis, and if breathed inconsistently over time, lung cancer. The dust can also carry toxic chemicals into the body and worsen the effects of the pollution they already inhale daily. Again, reminding us, this is already a community that is in Cancer Alley. And if I'm hearing you correctly, the black elected officials who represent in terms of skin folk, this community uh, are at least signaling in some kind of way that would cause this corporation to think they have a shot at bringing this facility into this environment. Regardless, what are the city council members saying? What are the local city elected officials saying about the concerns that the community members are raising in St. John the Baptist Parish? Yeah, so the one of the um, elected officials, uh, the one that actually represents Joy and Joe's district, Kurt Becknell, he wrote in um, in a letter to the ed- a letter to the editor in the Advocate, which is a local newspaper. There, saying he urges residents to consider the benefits of bringing this facility in. Um, huh. And that district, he's actually. Uh, he's actually being termed out this this upcoming election and so joy is running for that seat um but there there are some elect i mean there are some that have voiced their support saying that it would bring jobs to the community um and there's also uh the fact that like in these the the sisters have had trouble getting like even getting on the agenda to speak at public meetings and so there's that also that element of it as well you know, I, I get the allure for jobs, right? Like everybody wants jobs, worried about the economy. But, you know, I, I often wonder if the job were selling crack to the kids, would you would that be something you'd apply for? And if, if you're going to be bringing an institution uh, that would make Cancer Alley that much more cancerous, to me, it, it's kind of eh, not much real difference there. And so, again, when we go back to this idea of race and representation, it's not enough to have people who look like you in positions of power if they're going to use that power to make it easy to easier to take advantage of you and to take access to uh things that should be yours like your land 
and your health and your ability to clean, uh, to breathe in clean air. So I'm glad to see that one of the twins is going to be running for this seat. And as someone who is termed out, uh, an elected official like Kurt Becknell can say something like consider the possibilities because he's not going to be running again. And quite frankly, we often see a number of folks in that position uh, who then become lobbyists for the very corporate entities that, not that he is, you know, it's all supposition, Uh, but that is certainly something that we have seen a number of elected officials do after they help to usher in something that is harmful. They then can be get, they can get paid as lobbyists for the very entities that they help to usher in. Again, no indication that that is the case here, but that is a path that we often see elected officials who take these types of positions. Uh, That is something that we often see them do thereafter. How are the twins feeling right now? They just got this victory. This is huge, even though, again, it, it's, it's huge with the, a caveat, with an asterisk. How are they feeling about this current fight and their ability to carry this forward and ultimately be successful in preventing this, uh, corporate, this uh, corporation from coming into their community? I would say that uh, the words that I would describe to say how they're feeling, I would say is joyful, but vigilant. So, you know, they're joyful and they're celebrating this win, but they recognize that there is still a fight ahead of them. And so just continuing to watch and continue to do that fight. But I would also say prideful in, in, in terms of what they've accomplished. Mm. Um, I think that, or one of the things that the twins said was that, you know, the parish officials can no longer do anything in secret because now, now that this fight has been brought to the level that it has, they have so many people watching. And so they've been uh, to testify at the United Nations. There was a, a, a letter from the assistant secretary for health from uh, the Department of Human or Health and Human Services. And so they're feeling joyful, prideful, but also knowing that, you know, they're not alone in this fight anymore. Hmm. How can we help those of us who are outside of this community? Maybe we've never been there. Is there a a collective action that uh, the rest of America can participate in to help these sisters lead continue in this fight for this community? Are they asking us to call on anyone? What what calls to action currently exist that we might be able to support? Yeah, the main thing is spreading the word, uh, but also they do still have a petition uh, before the U.S. Army Corps. So I believe you can still sign that petition to block that, uh, to ask the Army Corps to deny this uh, permanent or deny this permit for this facility. And is that an uh, an action that is getting legs? Do they have a lot of signatures thus far? As I understand it, the National Trust for Historic Preservation is also asking people uh, to contact the Army Corps of Engineers. And that would basically, if it denies the permit, would that just sort of be the end of it? Or or would there be another step, similar to the way the lawsuit ended this immediate step, but but then still uh, opens up the doorway for future action? What What's the story there? Yeah, the permit is getting a lot of traction, and I would be hesitant to say that this would end it. You know, there's so many ways that these types of industri- industrial companies have uh, tried different things to still be able to build their facilities. So I would not, I don't know if that would end it. Mm. 
This is serious. We, we, this is a community that already has a plant uh, that's got had more than 370 safety violations within the past two years that they have to grapple with. Uh, they, these are plants that, in these industrial uh, pollutants, they, the, the chemicals that they put out, uh, y'all, and we've talked before about regulation, right? How the, the chemicals that you are allowed to get rid of or to, to burn off or to toss off of or to eliminate from your facility, those are supposed to be subjected to regulation. So when you hear the words deregulation, what they're saying is we don't want rules preventing us from getting rid of this stuff as cheaply and as quickly as we possibly can. We want deregulation. Deregulation means there are no more rules or the rules that exist are weakened so that industrial plants are able to pollute the earth as they wish because it makes them more money. And this is why elevating these battles is so important, particularly because y'all, I like to breathe real air. I like to breathe clean, purified air. I do not want to live in Cancer Alley. I don't want anybody living in Cancer Alley. And that's one of the reasons why highlighting successes and victories like the ones that the twins have recently experienced and those who are helping them, uh, that's, it, it's really important. Again, highlighting these stories. We are going to tweet out the link to this petition. Uh, from the National Trust for Historic Preservation, and they are again asking the Army Corps of Engineers to deny the Greenfield plant, uh, the Greenfield uh, terminal permit. This is the sort of collective action we can all participate in. We may not live in this space, but we can certainly recognize that, as you noted earlier, Deja, uh, the chemicals don't obey borders. <laughs> they will cross a river. They don't care about your geographic lines. Uh, they and that air and those chemicals ultimately make their way to all of us. And so this is an effort that really does require our full hands on deck really grateful for your coverage of this story uh, please let the the sisters and, and everyone who's in that community is fighting that we are rooting for them we are going to do what we can to amplify their effort uh, and and continue to follow this because we we have to see these things to the end one of the things that always challenges us is we highlight a story and often in the news and then we forget about it three weeks later three years later certainly uh, we want to make sure that we don't do that we have to keep up the fight and Deja reporting like yours is really helping us to do just that. How, how can people follow you and connect with the work that you're doing? I know you're finishing your fellowship at the 19th. Again, congratulations on that. Uh, but how can people continue to follow the work that you're doing? Uh, so I'm on Twitter, which I guess is X now, uh, <laughs> at Deja E. Henry. Deja is D-A-J-A. Um, also can just look at my website, which is DejaEHenry.com. And I should figure out another social media platform uh, to, <laughs> to bring my work to now that uh, Twitter is doing all kinds of stuff. <laughs> yeah, we, we all we are all having that same conversation. <laughs> and now that Twitter is called X, as, as I mentioned last week, uh, folks are saying Black Twitter should be called Malcolm. I'm just saying, I don't know. I don't make the rules. <laughs> These are just things for us to consider. Deja E. Henry, it's been a real pleasure having you here. Thank you so much for sharing your, your information with us today. Really do appreciate it. Thanks again for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely.